find things that I'm passionate about that I really want to do and how do I dismantle the obstacles that I might have to there? That wasn't a conversation that I had with myself for many, many years. I don't think I had the ability or the depth for me to have a conversation like that. And that was my detriment. And through all of that, I would say my mental health suffered and it exacerbated any existing mental health challenges because I, unbeknownst to myself, was effectively spiraling into this space where not being happy was becoming normalized. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Brown, and you're listening to the Every L Podcast. Each episode, we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L's a loss. So sit back, relax, or do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go. Welcome everybody to another episode of Every Old Podcast. My name's Matt and I'm here again with a fantastic guest. That is so cliche to say, but I don't care. It's my podcast. Deal with it, right? I am here and I have someone who I've known for about three years now. Yeah, about three years. And he is someone, you can see his name if you see the artwork there. He is someone who has actually helped me in more ways than he will ever actually know. Even the things I tell him now. He will probably have heard me say it in passing, but he won't know that I actually go away and think about what he said. actually digest the gems that he drops just from him actually having conversations with other people because we're in a group chat and he will say things to other people and I'll just catch it and be like, hmm, that's interesting. He is such an eloquent, he's such a passionate, such a thoughtful, very methodical type of guy. He can come across quite stern. But that's like the angry black guy vibes you give off. But truthfully, he's hedge. That's why he gives us that angry black man vibes. <laughs> but he's absolutely amazing individual who I am so honoured to call a friend. He's just been someone who is very well versed in the education system. He's very well versed in life in general. Not saying that he's old, but he's observing about his surrounding. He consumes knowledge. He applies wisdom. He's that type of person who isn't necessarily just book smart, but also has common sense, which is a very rare thing in the society. And I'm grateful for him being the person he is and for him to allow me to be in his presence and to just learn from him, to understand that not everything that is in place has been there forever and a day. It has been created by someone and it doesn't hurt to challenge it. And by challenging, it doesn't make you a bad person. Like all those things to other people may seem like, well, that's obvious. To me, it wasn't. And I've got no shame in admitting that. I'm so honoured and so grateful to have Arion on here, who's just amazingly eloquent, amazingly passionate, amazingly just a decent human being. When I feel that society, social media just promotes the other side of society and not highlight the people like him who are doing what they can to improve it to get it to where it needs to be i'm not going to take away anything else from his intro in case anything else he wants to share but before we dive in to his first l i'm going to ask arion to please introduce himself as he sees fit 
and tell people what he wants to tell people and then we'll go on to his first L. Sir, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, And thank you for your very, very kind intro. Arguably too kind, but I will graciously accept it. Um, <laughs> but no, that's you know very flattering to hear such kind words being articulated about yourself. So yeah, thank you very, very much. Yeah, I don't really know what to add to to that really. I I'm a teacher, dad. I have a lot of views that I often articulate in writing. That's my main passion in terms of like content online where you can air or read I should say my so many of my views yeah like a lot of what what you said in in the intro is just me having views and wanted to put them out there and happy to have debate and conversation about them but also happy for them just to be out there and that's something that I've articulated and put whether it be online or just in conversations or just out in spaces for people to observe or ignore that's basically what I, I like to do. I like the power of language and the power of sharing ideas. I think that's the thing that's really, really powerful about you is the fact that a lot of the times, at least in my experience growing up, not a lot of men would communicate with words. They would communicate through emotions and that would normally be anger or something negatively viewed like that. But you are not. You're willing to put your opinions out there and live and die by what you said in that instance. Don't get it wrong. I'm not saying that you're ignorant to the point where you say it and that's it. It's a matter of, no, I'm happy to potentially change that opinion. But as it stands right now, that's what I'm thinking. Put it out there. And then people can then have a debate, can have a conversation. And you're here for it. And I think that's such a healthy place to be because it helps you to be a more well-rounded person, to be observant of your surroundings, to understand the times. And maybe, like I do the podcast, what I may have thought prior to going to a conversation with someone, maybe how I no longer feel after having a conversation with someone, because things will change. The more you know, the more the more you need to know in general. And you don't know what you don't know. So it's a matter of, you're never going to stop until you're dead. But that's morbid. Let's not talk about that anymore. I'm going to go into his first L. Because I'm getting very, um, I'm actually, I'm actually feeling a bit flustered here. I don't know why I'm getting flustered. I'm flustered because I really like talking to you, if I'm honest, and I don't care who knows it. So, no need to be coy, be shy, and whatnot. I would love to hear more about this first L you put, which is failing to pursue happiness in life. So, <clears throat> we all know about Will Smith and what he done. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a fantastic movie called The Pursuit of Happiness, which was an amazing movie. And I'll argue with anybody about that. And a true story. Yes, and a true story. But I I can't take away from how much that story resonated with so many people and inspired people to sort of feel like they need to push through whatever they feel like is holding them back. When you sent that through and when I read it, it makes me feel like, you know, I know you. Obviously, I don't know anyone like that, but I saw like, oh, this is interesting because I'm thinking the life you have, and this is obviously from the outside looking in, seems lush, seems amazing. But the fact that you're telling me you didn't pursue something, it's like, wow, what does that look like? And I'm happy for you to go to the top of it and tell me how this started and what the journey looked like. So I would say in my failure to pursue happiness, the journey started with me being ignorant to the journey having commenced. I don't think I ever really knew that I wasn't pursuing happiness in life. 
I don't think I truly knew what happiness in life meant. And it's taken me a long time to realize what that is. But it's taken me even longer to actually change course on the journey to actually pursue it. And this is something that's really long term for me, I would argue. It's something that we don't get taught in school. We don't necessarily get taught in the home. And there are many factors and many people for why this may be the case. I would say for me, it started off as a child where we're used to having to conform. We conform in the school system. We conform in terms of the expectations that society has upon us. We conform in the expectations that our parents have upon us. And no one really in my life said, when you're older, be happy. It was when you're older, do this or this type of job or this type of career. And everything was really superficial. It was all about perception, really. And that was well-meaning. Um, I am the first person in my in my family to go on to higher education. And I think there was almost a an expectation I would do that. And therefore, there was an expectation at the back of that of what type of jobs I would be doing. And no one ever had the discussion of, would you be happy doing these jobs? Or would you be happy in this type of career? It was just a case of, this is what you're going to do because it's what you're supposed to do. And when you have that as the narrative growing up, what happens is the notion of happiness just isn't present because you're not having that as something that accompanies all your other thoughts. It's just like, I've just got to get to do what this thing is, what X expectation is of me. And I'll say that's where it started. It started just kind of needing to conform. And that's never helpful. And with my own son now, I I realized that, and that plays a big role in my parenting. I, I, I have a focus above everything of him being happy, looking for schools for him. He'll learn to read, he'll learn to write, you know, but where will he be happy? And it's now become such a significant factor in everything that I do with regards to people that I'm close to, people that I care about, my family, and less so, but increasingly so now, myself. So I would say that's where it really, it really started for me in not pursuing happiness. It's that need to conform or that expectation to conform. So conforming, I understand because as a parent, I know like my eldest loving to bits, but he's going through a period of time where he's exercising his personality and some of it I'm having to try and weed out if it's actually him or other influences like TV shows, people at nursery, whatever. And admittedly, I do want him to conform because I kind of, I say need, and that's probably the wrong word to use, but I need him to do certain things at certain times. Don't talk to strangers. Don't do this. Don't do that for various reasons. But I'm mindful that I need to allow him to be his own person. I need him to allow him to express himself. The reasons why I may not want to do that or encourage that is because it adds too many variables and makes my day longer than it already is and that's me being completely honest do you think your parents were potentially like that where they didn't want you to find your own way initially or to pursue something that made you happy because instead of you just doing what you need to do do this do that go school get this big gold job and sit there for the next 35 40 years oh if you're looking for happiness that means actually looking and it's not just one place. It could be here. It could be there. You might go left a hundred times and all of a sudden go, oh, I could go right. That's long. 
I don't know. I don't think they knew otherwise. I think they were always well-intentioned, as most parents are. And for them, maybe they maybe they perceived happiness as being in a certain kind of career or just going through the motions in terms of like your academic achievement. That's how they perceived happiness. I think there's also something to be said for when you are first generation of like immigrant parents. My both my parents are West Indian, and there's something to be said for that expectation again of you're going to go to school, study your books, and you're going to go and do this, and you're going to do better than what we did. And I, I think it's not just a race or or cultural notion. I think it's also a class notion as well, like being working class man, being of working class parents. Again, it was a, a case of you're doing all of this to get yourself a job that will provide you a good quality of life. And that's what we all want. But I don't think they understood the notion of having happiness as something that needs to be considered in that context. I don't think they understood the context of mental health and that being like a major role in what quality of life actually is. So for them, I don't think it was even that deep. I don't think it was a case of, you know, like this is going to be something that we need to just kind of suppress. This wasn't a conversation. It wasn't something that was ever discussed. I find it interesting that, and I, I, I could be completely ignorant about it, but as you grow older, you learn more, you see more, you understand that what you're taught, you kind of have to unlearn a couple of stuff because it's like, that's, that's, that's not right. So hearing what you just said there, I'm thinking, well, your parents are getting older, so they must have understood that they might be doing jobs that they don't particularly enjoy. So they'd want to encourage their children to enjoy what they do because otherwise you're either going to be sitting in a hellhole that you're not enjoying and whether they can articulate the, the word in mental health or not they're going to know in their spirit or in themselves they don't feel comfortable or don't feel right do I want that for my children that's the part where I'm interested to hear if you think your parents ever challenged that school of thought or do you think they just said nope that's it they didn't know any different go school get education go get a good job yeah I, I think it was down to that I think I think for that generation there was certainly a disconnect between job satisfaction there was a disconnect between that and having good mental health and what quality of life actually meant and for them being happy might have been seen as well you're happy you can pay your bills you're happy you can afford what you need to afford you're happy that you have elevated whether it be socially or academically more so than the generation before you I think that's how they saw happiness in a very, in very crude terms. And, and the terms I would say probably didn't really articulate themselves, even internally. So yeah, I just think there was a massive disconnect with what that would look like, that they couldn't even if they wanted to. Now, I would definitely stress that they wanted me to be happy per se, but I don't think they had the ability or awareness as a product of people from their time and from their background to understand what that actually meant and to shape that for anyone around them because it was a different time. And when you look at the world we live in today, we are more aware. We are, our, our jobs are in many ways more demanding in terms of the lack of work-life balance that exists in modern day, modern day work, workplace. That wasn't the case then. So you could still derive some happiness from the rest of your life. You fast forward a number of years, we, 
in this current generation, we don't really have the opportunity for that because there's so much that goes on. There's such a lack of work-life balance. There's such a demand on us if if we have children. There's such a demand on us more so than there was back then that we have to become slightly more aware of the pursuit of happiness because we have less time to be happy, which they arguably had more time to do the, the notion of having a nine-to-five doesn't really exist. Not know many people who kind of clock in, clock out. Most people have demands on, on their, their jobs that are just part and parcel. They just know that's what it's going to be in my profession. I read things at the weekend. There was a leaked report that teachers regularly work in excess of 12 hours. And I found that quite amusing because it's not a leak, because it's common knowledge that that is the case. And that's not just teaching, that's in so many different professions. Like so many of my friends, family, like we have demanding jobs. So for us, we're scrambling to get happiness because there's so little time in the day for us to find ourselves any modicum of it. Whereas back then, there was more of an opportunity. There was arguably more of a work-life balance where you could actually find that. So when you did grow up or go into education and learning that you have to go and do this job, that whatever the job is, just a good paying job that will keep you as a working class man. When did it sort of trigger that I should be looking for happiness? When did that happen? It didn't. It didn't for a long time. It didn't. I think the initial thought was I had conflated happiness with what I thought I should conform to. So if I could get a certain type of job in a certain type of field, I say for a certain type of pay, but all of these things, that's what I thought happiness was. And I never questioned it. I didn't have the ability or the awareness or I, I didn't have the conversations internally or with indeed with others for me to even question, well, what is happiness? What is pursuit of my passions? How happy am I? And I think often in life, we convince ourselves of our happiness. We convince ourselves that we are content in what's happening. And we, we create these narratives around that and sometimes that's based on what we've experienced today sometimes that based on us being in denial as a coping mechanism because we aren't happy but we feel we have to present and portray this image of we are happy with the way things are and i think for me it's really a bit of a mixture i don't think i questioned it but i think i was like well you know i'm taking some boxes here and what i think i'm supposed to be doing so i'd only have these kind of fleeting moments of like okay maybe i'm not happy with this and I don't think they were ever sufficiently holistic in terms of me actually saying, let me take a step back and look at my life. It's not just about work. You know, work is part of our lives and it's a, a significant part, um, but it's not everything. It was just generally, where do I find things that I'm passionate about that I really want to do? And how do I dismantle the obstacles that I might have to there? That wasn't a conversation I had with myself for many, many years. I don't think I had the ability or the depth for me to have a conversation like that. And that was my detriment. And through all of that, I would say my mental health suffered and it exacerbated any existing mental health challenges that I had because I, unbeknownst to myself, was effectively spiraling into this space where not being happy was becoming normalized. And that's very, very dangerous. And if you already have a predisposition to challenge with your mental health, that's awful. That's an awful, awful place to put yourself because you're almost 
turbocharging your unhappiness in denying yourself and having the conversations and having the the means to be reflective enough on what you should be doing to afford yourself that all-important happiness. That's interesting. I'm sorry to hear you went through that. When you when you mention, you know, it turbocharging it, it feels like you're adding fuel to the fire that you didn't even know was burning in you. 100%. You've just started going, oh, let me just put this log, these logs here next to the fireplace. Not thinking anything of it, not knowing that, oh, thanks, mate. That I need that because I need to just kick off and grow and manifest itself. One thing I did want to ask is, even though you hadn't identified happiness as like to necessarily consider in your pursuit of a career in life in general, do you, was you not exposed to other people that had considered that as a factor in their pursuit in life? I don't think I had. And I think one of the problems that I did have growing up was my perspective was probably quite narrow. And by that, I think my identity was very much shaped primarily as black working class man. And I wasn't exposed to, nor did I feel there was necessarily a need to expose my, to interact with other views. So an example I'd give is I didn't take a gap year when or prior to going to university. Now, I love to travel. That's something that I discovered later in that pursuit of happiness. But at the time, that wasn't something that I felt was for people like me. People like me did not spend a lot of money on traveling when we were not in a job. And it was essentially postponing going to the workplace to get a job. Just didn't do that. So again, you have this disconnect of people who are like, this is something that's going to give me fulfillment and enrichment. And I'm going to do that. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm over here. That's not for me. That's not for people like me. People like me don't do that. And that, that thought was something that I carried for a long time, a really long time. So I would say that I just didn't feel that I identified with anyone who did anything for themselves. So I wasn't in the frame of mind where I could dismantle any of those obstacles that I had presented for myself either. And also, to be fair to myself, I, I imagine the means as well, the means to do so. Um, many people that are able to pursue happiness in that sense where they can remove those obstacles, the obstacles we have, they're often obstacles of pragmatism. You know, we would all love to just not pay our bills and for nothing to come of it and to go and be free and do exactly what we wanted. That's a very valid obstacle because it means that we are keeping some kind of stability, financial and otherwise, in our lives. So I don't think I was ever really able to go full on in search of happiness where there was anything that was going to be related to money. I didn't I don't think I was ever able to pursue happiness in something that was required the idea and the the notion of what that meant. I don't think I was worldly enough. I don't think I I had sufficient cultural capital in understanding where I could even get that happiness from. So again, it just wasn't something that I, I wasn't able to digest it. 
I, I, I didn't have the, the mental and the emotional growth and I didn't have the social awareness for me to be able to di- digest that idea in itself. And when you said that it took a toll on your mental health, what does that look like? I think at the time, you don't know what it looks like because you're sleepwalking. So you're already sleepwalking to a place of what I like to call the cloud, the dark cloud that is there. And for me, that dark cloud was there for a very long time, for as long as I can remember. But for a long time, you don't recognize the cloud because that cloud is is omnipresent. So it's become normalized to you. And one day you look up and the cloud is so dark and so heavy that you realize it's now inescapable. But you've had that cloud there following you for such a long time that it's become strengthened and it's emboldened and you now can't escape it. And then you realize, well, what would the tools be to escape that? back to happiness it goes back to self-worth it goes back to seeing value in yourself it goes back to being able to access the tools that we now know are are necessary in securing good mental health but not only was it too late because the cloud was now far too heavy but i had been adding to the cloud with this denial of pursuing my own happiness so it was almost like this sudden awakening of like, what have I done? I didn't even know what I had done, but the result is something very, very bad. And the reason I say it's the cloud is because you can't escape a cloud. You can't escape a cloud. And the reason I say the cloud becomes so darkened is because when you're in a cloud or when a cloud's above you, I should say, you're looking for a chink of light. You're looking for something to just see, like, can I make a breakthrough? to come out of whether it be depression, anxiety, stress, whatever it may be, you're looking for something to give you some hope. But when you dismantle all of the the tools and able to be, that enable you to do that, what you end up doing is removing any sense of a chink in that armor of the depression or the anxiety that has its hold over you and you can't penetrate that. And that's essentially what, what happened to me. I didn't realize that I was kind of sleepwalking into this. I think on some level, I probably knew that I was already not in a good place. But I would say on some level, I, I knew I was not in a good place, but I didn't know that I was adding to it. I should say that that's where the English lay. I, I knew I was not in a good place, but I was sleepwalking to it and it became normalized. It was just so normalized for me to feel a certain way that, Denying myself any sense of happiness was also normal. It was really normal. It was not a conversation I ever had with myself. I don't remember ever having a moment of reflection saying, what would I really like to do? Even if I thought it in the most abstract way, it's like, oh, that'd be a nice thing. Never really stop and think, well, how could I do that? What would that look like? And there's also that challenge that we have at every space in our life where we always feel it might be too late to do something. And generally, it isn't, actually. We just think that because we're in that space. When you're in a space where you feel you have to conform and when you're in a space where you feel constrained by the the ideas that are presented by your identity and the societal expectations that you have, you don't feel that you are able to do anything else. You, you're, you're blocked. You're, 
you're you're not able to take a step back and say, well, actually, like this is what like it would look like to be happy or to try something else. You're just not in that position to to do so. Are you happy? Generally speaking, no. Yeah, generally speaking, I would say no. There are now aspects of my life that make me happy, and that's an improvement. My family, my my son, that that affords me happiness, like one hundred percent, like in in ways that prior to him were unimaginable. I remember talking to people who would say, "Oh, you know, when you have children, like you know, it's like this like level of like love that you can't fathom." And as someone who was already quite damaged by their mental health, quite very damaged, I just thought to myself, "Okay, that's for most people, but that won't be for me." But that's not the case. Like, and it's it's something that you can't articulate when it comes, you know, yourself. Like, you know, being being a father, you can't articulate it. So I do have aspects of happiness now. There are things that I enjoy doing that I do now try to pursue. I don't always get to pursue them as much as I would like to, but that's life. That's not even just a reflection on me. That's just life, and that's life as a parent as well. You know, you, we we make sacrifices, but there are things that I do enjoy doing, as I mentioned earlier. I do enjoy articulating thoughts and ideas and, and putting them out there. I enjoy travel. I enjoy like, working out. Like there are things that I know are now important for me to make time for. But if I wanted to put a a label on my life, am I happy, unhappy, whatever it may be? I couldn't say yes. I'm happy now. I don't know how many people could. I think some people could. I think some people who say they could are maybe in denial. I think some people who say they could have found that source of happiness earlier in their life. They've been fortunate to be exposed to that, and they've they've pushed for it and they found it, and that's great. But I think there are a lot of people who maybe just don't know that they're not happy, and there are a lot of people who have normalised this sense of just we we just plod along and we just accept what what things are. We we have our lot in life, and and that is it. And I say that I would not consider myself happy, not to elicit any kind of pity, and but more to say there's almost a positive, and and this is where you know the the L. Is a learning point. Recognizing I'm not happy means that I'm able to recognize what I might need to do to move towards that. Now, I don't know if I or indeed anybody can honestly say they'll ever get to this point of I'm, I'm now going to be eternally happy. I, I think life doesn't present itself in that way, and that's okay. But what I think it is important that we do is we try to find what can afford us happiness, and we move towards that in. Small ways and in big ways, and that might be different things for different people, and that's very important as well. Not everyone's perception of happiness is going to be the same, and again, that's something that I've now I've learned that you know that's great for the next person, but maybe not great for me, and that's okay. But recognizing that you're not happy, but more importantly, recognizing what can move you towards happiness. That to me is the most powerful part of my personal journey in failing to pursue my happiness. I know, not fully, there are still things that I don't know what would make me happy. I, I'm, I'm still on that journey, but I know there are certain things that I do enjoy, and I shouldn't deny myself those things, and I should pursue them where I can. 
And I should continue looking to see, well, where else can I find this happiness? And I see the happiness referring back to the cloud as almost the cloud is blocking the happiness. And I need to keep searching to find like this vague image of, oh, there might be some happiness there. And sometimes you might search for it and you search and try and put your head through the cloud and you're like, it's it's a false promise. It really wasn't what you thought it was. But you have to keep searching for it. That, to me, is the most important thing. And you have to also just recognize, like you asked as such a point in question, are you happy? And if you're not happy, the search has to continue and the journey has to continue. I appreciate the honesty there. Two things I want to allude to real quick. And you call it a cloud. I call it a shadow. Just because I always say, wherever there's a shadow, there's a light source. And if you keep looking, you'll find a light that's cast in the shadow. And that's only because of places that I've been when I've had depression and I've had to think and break it down into a way that makes sense to me to be able to hold it, to be able to not let it dominate my life anymore. But I can sort of look at it as and when I want to look at it rather than that's all I see. When you mentioned about having your son, and I feel like this is how I understand it to be and how I explain it to people. Because like yourself, people just say, oh, yeah, when you have a child, you will never have sex. All right, cool, whatever. And especially when they like say, I will say to, what's your, if you got how many children you got? Oh, I've got three. Okay, which one's your favorite? Oh, I don't have a favorite. Okay, cool. Which one at least annoy you? Oh no, it's not like that. No, no, no. It is that simple. It really isn't that simple, brother. I'm telling you, it's not that simple. I love all my babies, but I liken it to, and I did hear it from. I think it was a book I was listening to on Audible. I'm not sponsored, um, and it was if someone's colorblind and you tell them about this color, that color, this shade, the rest of it, and they can't see those colors. They're not missing anything. They don't know any different. So as far as they're concerned, they're living life. They're happy. They're cool. All of a sudden, you give a pair of glasses that let them see every color going. They don't feel, they now feel slightly deprived because they can now see it. But prior to that, they had no idea, nor did they care. Not having children. Oh, yeah, cool. These kids are cool. I can bounce up and down. Here you go. Take them back. Bye. But before I give them back, here's some sugar. Have a lot of sugar. Bye. End friendship forever. When you have your own child, you're like, oh my gosh, how have I got this energy, this love, this undying compassion for someone I just met? Like, where has this come from? And to anyone that's listening to this part and you haven't got children, whatever reason, don't feel bad. It is what it is. It's hard to have empathy on something of that magnitude until you've actually experienced it. Just like how people can talk about depression um, poor mental health and things like that. If you haven't experienced it, it's very difficult to kind of have that empathy, that connection. Another way I'd probably liken it, and this is very bizarre me saying this, but I remember I was raised up in a church environment and, you know, there was the Passion of Christ came on way back when, back in the day, and he was getting, Jesus was getting whipped and people were like, oh my gosh, this is horrific. I didn't think it was that bad because I got beaten by my parents. So that wasn't too far away from what I'm exposed to. So when people don't get disciplined like that, I can imagine going, oh my gosh, this is inhumane. Nah, man, that's that's standard. That's you, that's you saying that you didn't take out the chicken and let it fall before your mum come home. That's what that was. That that That's calm. Not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's how some people can understand things better when they're exposed to things that are not too dissimilar. I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate how you're speaking of your pursuit of happiness how you still want to see because you're not there how you're how you understand there are there are pockets 
if I was to use that word, of happiness that you sort of dip into every now and again because you have the ability to do so. But I would like to know, when did you decide that happiness is something that you had to pursue? I think that probably came around when I realized that my mental health was not in a good place, but not at that exact point. After that, it it came as part of the the work done in looking to repair my mental my, my my mental health. And I think when you go through that process of counseling, when you go through the process of self-reflection, when you go through the process of having to recognize in yourself why you might feel the way that you do and accepting that that to be the case and not normalizing it when you go through that part of that journey is realizing what's missing and you start to realize well things might be missing from childhood things might be missing from experiences growing up things are missing in terms of those parts of the jigsaw that maybe you just never had and maybe never will have and you go through this journey which can be quite a traumatic journey in doing that but it's necessary because otherwise you normalize the pain and as part of that not even necessarily something that I was conscious of like right next up on the journey is to decide what would make me happy because as I said I don't know if that's something that complete and total happiness if that's something that will ever be afforded if i'm honest i don't think it it is but you get to a point where you start to say i can now recognize that at various points i have been absolutely miserable and i've had that cloud of depression and i know that cloud is intermittent i know that cloud will be coming back at some point let's take that window where it may have just receded slightly and let's do something we like or having those moments of almost courage where you say to yourself, no, I want to do this. And part of my journey in addressing my mental health, which is by no means complete, but part of my journey has been to recognize that there are things that I should really do for myself because I've been denied them for such a long time. I've de- in the same way that I've denied myself happiness, it's not necessarily me that's denied it per se. Depression could have denied me happiness. It could have been my anxiety that could have denied me happiness. There are all these other challenges and experiences that you have when you do have a problem with your mental health that present the obstacles. And when you get that window and you, after you've experienced that for such a long time where you know it's coming, you know it's that, that cycle, you do start to say to yourself, no, I need to do something for me because I've got this fleeting clarity that tells me everything that depression told me was not necessarily true. So now I need to take the opportunity to make good on what I do want to do. And it's not always possible because you can't control that cloud. You don't know when it's going to come back in. It's, it's typically irrational in terms of its, its movements, its behavior. I say it's irrational. Sometimes it's rational for the cloud because the cloud preys on those moments when you're at your weakest and most vulnerable but i now i now know that it's important to do those things for myself so i'd say it 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 came through that journey it came through that journey of recognizing yeah like 
I I should do this. And I think also the other thing that came from it was recognizing that when you do so many things and you're feeling you're doing them to conform to society, conform to expectations and the desires of others, you don't necessarily recognize that in maintaining that stance, that's also denying you happiness because you're doing things for everyone and everything but yourself. And you have to come to a realization of maybe I need to put myself first because really and truly, how many people really care about what you conform to? No one's going to care about that. One of my like favorite films is A Bronx Tale. I don't know if you, if you know the film. No, I've not seen that yet. Really recommend it. I won't give any spoilers, but there's a line that the first time I watched the film just resonates with me. And the protagonist says, at the end of the day, nobody cares. Like, nobody cares. And I was like, yeah, nobody cares. Now, to break that down, that's not me saying that nobody cares, period, about anybody. But there are things that we have in our heads that we feel other people care about. So bring it back to me and conforming or bring back to me and meeting expectations. Nobody cares. And I'm denying myself happiness for something that no one's really going to care about. If I did job X and someone else wanted me to do job Y, no one's going to care. Like No one's really going to care. No one's losing sleep over what job you did. No one's losing sleep over that you wanted to partake in that activity. Like Nobody cares. And we get so much caught up in our heads of the expectation of what other people are going to think. And when the point at which I started to realize, let's chase that happiness where we can, was when I realized and accepted nobody cares. No one cares about those those things. No one cares about image. And if they do, why would you care? And that for me was the turning point in in recognizing, yeah, you know what? Like these things you want to do, just do them. And I'm I'm not fully there, but I I think that it's that ideal that will push me gradually towards that in terms of it doesn't matter what it looks like, move away from perception and move towards substance. And when you do that, the obstacles that you put up often become meaningless. Was that really an obstacle? Was that really something that I said, I can't do this because of that? Didn't matter. No one cared about it. You in turn don't care about it. So what's stopping you now? The only thing stopping you is the cloud telling you you're not worthy of it. You're not deserving of it. But you've dismantled everything else, which now tells you it's okay to ignore the cloud on this occasion. And the more you start doing that, the more you've broken down that section of the cloud that preys on your vulnerability. You've had a point. So it sounds like you're potentially living in fear because you're just not doing things because you're fearing that other people are watching you, other people are doing this, and they they got their own clouds they're dealing with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so so often I think so many of us, we we march to the beat of someone else's drum, and that's a really dangerous thing to do. And in doing so, we, we tell ourselves we're happy because we think that's what happiness should look like. And we all have these projections of what we're supposed to do and what happiness looks like. And it's actually based on what someone else tells us. 
And there's so much of that in the world. We're told we're supposed to, I don't know, get married, or we're told we're supposed to have a certain type of job, or we're told we're supposed to have a certain kind of status. Now, for some people, these might be things that they want to do. And that's great if they do. But how many people really and truly take a step back and say, is that for me? And when you don't do that, that in itself is you weaponizing your, your conforming to be a tool against your own happiness. I think it's easily done just because if we're going to use the analogy of a jigsaw, you could be doing a very bland section of the jigsaw and it's going to feel like it's going to take forever and a day to find where you fit in. But you don't have that time because you've got bills to pay. You've got things to do and you haven't got that length of time to do it, which is bad to say because you should afford yourself that time, that grace to find your feet, find where your place is. But yeah, it's it's hard. I hear you. And I just can't get out of my head how that's something that you kind of had to go through. Because as people probably know, most of my guests, I say most because there are a couple that I've known them for a very short period of time. I've known you for a little while. And to think that that's not, that's something that you struggled with is interesting because it's not too far away from how I've felt. I've got no qualms in telling people that I've been a people pleaser. I've got no problem telling people I've lacked an identity. I've got no problem telling people I've had certain thoughts and stuff. It, it, that doesn't bother me in the slightest because if it makes other people feel less alone, then so be it. But I would, I want to ask this question. If you could rewind the cl- clock back to when you were younger, whenever you think it would be necessary, what would you tell yourself to encourage yourself to just get back to, to sort of not, I don't know, not to be consumed by whatever was consuming you at that point to then look and pursue happiness? That's a really good question. Um, I don't think there's one answer to it with the downside main point. So I'd say, firstly, it would be to say no to that fear of failure and that fear of coming out of my comfort zone, particularly at a young age, having the perspective to know it's okay to try something and it maybe doesn't work out for you because you're still young enough to actually make good on that. And even if you don't make good on it, that part of the learning experience, it, it you know, it's the yell becoming the, the learning opportunity. So I think that would definitely be be one. Yeah, that would def- definitely be one of them for me. Also, and there's something that I'm still grappling with. So it's not just applicable when I was younger, but it's applicable now as well. Trying to discover what my passion is and where it lies that'd be a major one for me because i think if i found that when i was younger that would have driven everything that i did and it would have driven me towards happiness now it could have driven me to struggle in some ways but i would like to think if i had a passion behind me and what i was doing whatever that may be and and that's not just in a career perspective uh, a career sense but if I had that passion that was driving me, that in itself is the pursuit of happiness because you're actually driven by what makes you happy. You're not driven by anything else. You're not driven by, but I've got to make money for it. I've got to do something that looks a certain way. I've got to do something that's going to you know, please somebody else. It's just, no, I want to do this. I enjoy doing this and I'm going to pursue this. So being driven by passion would definitely be be one of them for me. And I, I want to say the last one, I'm going to try and keep it to three. I, the last one 
would be talking therapies, talking talking therapy for sure, because I think that is hugely underrated in signposting you to what you need to do to forge a path that can get you towards where you need to be in attaining happiness. Like how old would you be at this point? That's a good question. Mm. Maybe talking teens. Yeah, teens, I would say. So like 15? Yeah, maybe, maybe a bit younger. Maybe a bit younger. Because these, these are thoughts that I've had for as long as I can remember. Okay. Yeah. Do you think you'd listen to yourself? That's a good question. That's a good question. With the mindset I had at the time, no. Like you said, with you know, the example of the jigsaw, you don't know any, any better don't really better and you therefore aren't able to accept or respond in the way that you need to because you just haven't got the experience and the perspective to do so so i might not have listened to myself conversely it was never a conversation i had myself so how do you think you'd have to present that information to the younger version of yourself to help you understand these three key points that you feel are relevant to say this is what you need to do to pursue happiness. The main one is it, it, always predicated on passion. And I think you, I'd present it by saying, these are things that you're really passionate about. This is what you're really interested in doing. This is what you really enjoy. Why wouldn't you want to make that a feature, a significant feature of your life? And I think if you can push that message, whether it be my younger self, now, for anyone else like listening to this, if you can push that message of what is it that I'm passionate about and makes me happy, it's very difficult to ignore. Now, when you're in the cloud, the cloud will do everything to distract you from that and to just flummox you in a way where you aren't able to fully appreciate that. But if you keep beating that drum, the cloud is intermittent. And when it subsides, you're like, I really do like that and I do enjoy doing that and I feel good when I'm doing that so why wouldn't I try and do that so do you think a sit down conversation with your teenage version of yourself would be like all right cool I get you or would you need to be shown it do you think you'd need to be exposed to it maybe shown it I mean I was very stubborn I still am so (laughs) there's a good chance I would have ignored it but at least it would have been something that was tried for me that conversation didn't take place internally. That was not that was not an internal dialogue that I was able to have with myself. I didn't know any better. Didn't know any better. And I think for most people it's probably the same. You know, hindsight is great and, and you know, one of the cruel things we if you call it that about youth is that we have all this energy and we have this time on our hands, but we don't have the experience and the foresight to know how to use it appropriately. And we get there at a point when I don't want to say it's too late, but where we've squandered years and years not taking that stance. So I don't know if I would listen to it, but that is how I would have tried to present it. Fair enough. So you're saying that it's not an L, but it's a lesson? Yeah, it's a lesson and an ongoing one at that. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's an L for sure, because there is a loss as I've I've lost years to that mindset and the opposite of a loss being a win i haven't won yet and maybe i won't win but i can still claw something back and that's what the l in the lesson is because it's that ongoing lesson of okay we recognize this let's claw back as much as we can 
But then even though you've lost some stuff, you're not starting from nothing. You're starting from a place of experience. You have that greater empathy with a multitude of people. There is that phrase that says you could either go fast in the wrong direction or you can go slow in the right direction. And it sounds like a lot of us, or at least you and I can identify, we was going fast in the wrong direction because we had all the energy, all the time on our hands. Yeah. And when you get to a certain age of your life, and you, I guess you could call it woke if you want to, you suddenly realise it's not a stopwatch anymore, it's a timer. You're like, oh, okay, I don't like this one anymore. <laughs> because you're mindful that your time here is finite. It's, you're, you're not here for a long time, you're here for a good time. And you need to make sure whatever you do, it has purpose, it's something you enjoy, and hopefully something that you are going to be so passionate of, whether you make money or not, that is what you're here for. And that's what you're claiming as your own because it's yours. Whether it be loving on your family, whether it be loving on your friends, building things, whether, whether it be relationships, being creative, however you identify with creating something, that should be it. Because I know I went through a time where I denied myself the time to sit down and just play computer games or to create something. And I'll, it eventually got to a point where I was in a very dark place. So I now afford myself the time to do this because I know it's good for me to have these conversations, to create the artwork, to create the show notes. To do, that is who I am. And I protect my peace wherever possible. I'll ask you because I know we've got another L on here and I'm interested. The feeling of not being good enough. This is coming from a guy I look up to and he's telling me he don't think he's good enough. This is interesting. That's been another really long-term feeling. Yeah, not not being good enough. And I don't really know where it came from. I'm not sure when it started, but it's something that I definitely feel in various aspects. I think when it first started, I felt in many spheres of my life, there was some of a glass ceiling. And again, similarly to the previous L, it comes back to identity. My my main identity is black, working class, male. And for both of those identities, we are often subject to the lens of others of what that should be. And sadly, that has often been a very low glass ceiling. So when you've got that projected by the people and the spaces and the the echo chamber even, that that's what you should be aiming for, you start to have lower expectations of yourself. And then when you enter spaces where you feel, oh, I've kind of gone a little bit further than I'm supposed to, you start to think you're just not good enough that because you feel I shouldn't belong here. I shouldn't be here. And that's something that I've experienced on many occasions in my life. When did you learn that? When did you identify with that? What age would you say roughly? Not sure what age. I would say maybe it started it started maybe mid to late teens of of that sense. I would say in my late teens, it was something that was there, but maybe just kind of running in the background more, more of an acceptance as opposed to a more conscious thought. But when I started and entered the workplace, that's when I remember it being something that I acknowledged was how I saw myself. And I remember being 
at a job where internal job postings would come around. And I would look at the jobs. And I remember saying to myself, I still remember this now, thinking certain jobs of a certain salary and at a certain level of seniority were not for people like me. And I remember I can see myself where I was sitting when I articulated that thought in my head. I know the workplace, like, yeah, it, it's vivid to me. And my subsequent thought, not in the, the immediate sense, but my subsequent thought that started to check myself over there was I started to see people that were in those jobs that I felt were not spaces that I could exist. And I thought, why am I seeing them as better than me just because? I started to question it. I started to look at other things outside of the workplace and start to think, well, if I might want to do that, why should I feel that I can't do that? Just because I start to question it. So it it kind of it started in the, the, the background, but I would say kind of first encounter in the professional space is when I really start to think and articulate this internally, like, yeah, I'm, I'm not good enough for this. This is not where I'm supposed to be. And if I am, then I fooled everyone. And and I think that's where I, I would say that I definitely suffer with imposter syndrome, for sure. And I feel that's where it comes from. And being conscious of that now, you know, I try and fight it a lot more, but it still exists. Because for me, I feel there are some things and some spaces that I can have confidence in, and there are others that I can't. I've never been that person who is able to look at a job, let's say, for example, and go through a job spec and say, well, I can't do like a ton of those things, but I'm going to apply anyway, and I'm going to blag my way into it. I've got so much respect for people that can do that. I've got a really good friend who, he's that guy. Like He will go into a space, into a room, and he doesn't, he, he's not scared of the failure if he gets called out on it. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to believe it. It's almost like he believes it himself. Believe himself. I don't know if you've seen that um, Chris Tucker um, show when he's talking about Michael Jackson and he's talking about when um, he's in the, the video for, was it Rock My World, I think? Yeah. And he's saying, like, I'm dancing away. I'm like, can't believe him in the video. And, like, Michael says back to him, like, believe it, Chris, believe it. Like, this guy, like, like one of my, my day ones, like, he is, like, he will just believe it. He'll believe it himself. It doesn't have to be true. It could be fantasy in his own head. But I'm not that person. I can't do that. Like, I, I lack the confidence and the self-esteem to feel that way. And I think a lot of it is down to the fact that I also... I'm quite good at not showing that. And that's not necessarily me hiding it, but it's me maintaining a facade that means people don't realize it. Like I don't I tend to surprise people when I discuss this. They're like, like, what do you mean? Like, like, no, like I don't feel that I'm good enough to do certain things. I'm not good enough to be in certain spaces. And that's always been like a fear that I've had for like for some time. And is that because of lack of people that look like you there, or you just feel like your face don't fit, your stature doesn't isn't up to par with those people? What would you say are the factors that contribute towards that? I think my mental health 
probably has contributed to it because then that lends itself to like kind of low self-esteem and not feeling that you can do that. Initially, I think maybe it was subconsciously, it was about sit, not seeing other people that looked like me that I could identify with. I think that was something that played a role for me because I just didn't, I, I couldn't understand how I could operate in a space if I hadn't seen other people who I felt could identify with. So I think that was one, that was certainly one for me. Yeah, but the, the feeling of just not being good enough is it's hard to it's it's hard to pinpoint as to it's hard to pinpoint as to where where that comes from you now specifically because also it's it can depend on different different spaces like before my son was born I worried would I be a good enough dad you know um, you go into a job like would I be good enough at the job you go into any kind of like you're you're putting out your ideas and in content like is it going to be good enough is it going to be judged fairly will people see it as content that is worth consuming you feel that so it can it can vary on on different it can vary on different fronts for sure my the difference is with a child yeah the no backsies yeah <laughs> with a job you get training yeah yeah but but it's more important you know yeah being being a being a parent being a father is way more important and the fear of not being good enough in something that's a lot more important no matter how i might feel about the job like it's a job, no, it's, it's important, yeah, for sure. But if I wasn't going to be good enough as a parent, that's a problem. So can I ask you this question? If parenting was to have a job spec, do you think you could tick every single one of the things that you were required to no, do for it? No, and no one could. And if they said they could, they're lying. But here you are, so many years into it, doing a fantastic job. Thank you. Why do you not carry that same mentality into other job specs that you potentially could do? I feel with being a parent, there's something, there's a bond, a connection that is just deeper than anything else. It's just deep, it's deeper than anything else that I know. So for me to feel, oh, I'm, I'm doing okay at this. And again, I'm not saying that I can do everything because I certainly cannot. And there are many, many days where I feel I've not done a good enough job by my son. But being a parent is different because of other things. It's almost like it's more, it's more formalized. It's more formalized. It's, it's more tangible. Yeah, it's more tangible in terms of, okay, what, what a good example would look like. And when you have something that is like that, your mind is able to play tricks on you a lot more effectively because it knows what it's working with. So it can destabilize you. you. Go back to the cloud. The cloud knows it preys on that vulnerability, those moments of low self-esteem. It preys on those moments where you just don't feel good about yourself. It's harder to do that with things that aren't tangible, such as parenting, because that's a different kind of fish. With other things, it can say, right, I'm going to prey on that. And that's where I'm going to bring you down. And I think that's really the difference with why I can't take that space into something else. Like yesterday, someone asked me about, in a race, do I feel like I'm going to perform in the race the way that I see in my head? I'm like, yeah, I do. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm necessarily going to win the race, but there's a sense of I know what I can do or my head does, even if my body doesn't follow, I know what I can do. Therefore, 
I know what I'm intending to do. So I don't have to have the doubt of, am I going to be good enough? Because in my head at that moment, at that time, what I'm going to do is going to be enough. When you don't have that sense of being able to visualize this is what I'm capable of because that cloud is throwing you off, it's very difficult to translate any thoughts you have into a confidence that wasn't there to start with. I find this so fascinating because you've heard, we've had conversations offline and you know how I've suffered with that in myself. But hearing you say it is just like, okay, I knew I wasn't the only one that felt that way, but I guess hearing you say it's like, oh, so this is probably what it sounds like when you see someone who you feel like is so far more competent than what they allow themselves to believe. It's just like, what you're saying or what I believe, two different things, but I'll let you feel what you're feeling. It's all good. You said about your friend having that belief. I hear, I know how, and people, trust me, the way he is with everything in life, he's just 100 with it. He may not feel that he's doing the best he can, but he is definitely given 100% of what he can to a situation wherever possible. We all fall short. We're humans. That's accept- you know, it's acceptable. But I'm thinking, right, your friend in his head, that guy, I'll talk and try and get that job because someone's got to do it. So why not me? You have your son. If that's the reason to believe in yourself, I don't know what is it, <laughs> what is, sorry, because I'm thinking you put so much time and effort and energy into establishing and maintaining that bond with him. That's like, well, why wouldn't you want to show him? Because you said about um, example, dad's here all the time. Dad suddenly decided that wasn't good enough. He went up a level or several levels because he wanted to show me it was possible. Do you not think that could be enough? And also, how many times have we seen people that have applied for a job this is the job spec. They get into a job. It's got nothing to do with the job spec at all. Those two things at the very least, your son seeing his dad elevate through the ranks because he wanted to, pursuing his passion and you also knowing the job spec is just there for the sake of it being there. It's not really what the job is. If you understand what the job is, you can articulate how you're going to execute the job role. Do you not think these things could help you to carry that energy, to have that mindset to say, you know what, let me apply. They, they could if we lived in a world where logic ruled everything. And one of the biggest lessons that I've learned from my mental health journey is logic doesn't always prevail. And if it did, we could look at, you know, examples of like all of our lives and say, well, we've got this and we've got that. And that's great. And that's, that's the evidence right there for why we can move on to do something else. But unfortunately, our minds don't allow us to do that. Our minds destabilize those thoughts because of what they do when you're not in a good space. And they, they block out the evidence, the valid evidence that we all have. Because we can all say, oh, we're not happy with something in our lives. And the next person who knows us could say, well, you've got this and you've got that and you've got this. And you know, what are you talking about? And I understand why people would do that. But your mind is so much stronger than that, that it's able to destabilize those very tangible pieces of evidence that you would need. And it knows that. And that's why it does it, because it's, that's how it preys on bringing you down. So do you still currently feel that you're not good enough? In some spaces, yes, but not in all spaces. Where the L has been something that I have learned from has been recognizing where 
I think I am good enough. In fact, no, I know I am good enough. And I will operate as such, knowing that I'm good enough. And that's not an arrogance. That's more of a being self-assured and having confidence and having the clarity at that moment where the cloud isn't able to block that window of clarity for me to recognize, no, there's there's proof of this, that, that exists. And what I've found as well is that it's also been, I need to find that for myself and not for anyone else or with the view to appeasing someone else based on their own views. When I look at the content that I produce, I don't write for anyone apart from me. It's great if people can engage. It's great if we can have online discussion or in-person discussion. That's great. But I feel with art and with content, you have to produce it for you. You have to produce it because you had an idea, a notion, a discussion, a talking point, whatever it may be, that you wanted to share and put out there in the world, whatever that, whatever it might be. And you work so hard on it and you work hard on presenting it in a way that reflects what your idea, your, your creation was when it was just a concept in your head. And to me, that's where confidence comes from because I'm not working to do something for someone else. I'm like, I feel this is good enough. It's good enough for me. And if you're your own worst critic, that's what you need. You need to be like, this is good enough because I'm putting out what I want to put out. And I think that's, that's a really important thing to do to start realizing when you're doing something and recognizing, are you good enough? It's because you're good enough for yourself. Unfortunately, you need to have sufficient self-esteem and self-worth for that to be the case. And in many cases in my life, I've not always had that, at least not consistently. So what was the turning point for you? Uh, I think various, yeah, various turning points for me. One being where I just recognized that what I was doing in whatever sphere it might be wasn't bad. And you just almost had this epiphany where you're like, I'm okay at this. I had that with like being a dad. You know, you have those moments, especially in like the newborn phase where you're like, we're all clueless. Everyone is, you know, and we all muddle along. We're all making it up. But you get to that point where you're just like, my son's happy and we have something special. I'm all right at this. I'm not saying I'm the best, but I'm okay. And for someone like myself, who can be quite harsh on myself, saying I'm all right at this, that's progress. Yeah, man. It's a solid pass at a bare minimum. It's a solid pass. Definitely. Definitely. 100%. And that's that's one of my turning points. Also, at various points, highlighting or pinpointing, sorry, where I felt that's my thing and not feeling I needed any kind of validation from anyone. Not that I've ever really been a validation type person or, or sort of that, but not needing I felt validation or to be endorsed in any way. Those are other, other areas where I've had those turning points where I'm like, no, actually, do you know what? Like, I think, I think I'm, I'm okay at this. I, I use the example of like when in a race and I used to do some kind of middle distance, long distance running. I always have this thing where when I got into the home straight, it didn't matter where you were on the home straight, you were going to come after me. Like, I had that much confidence in my finish. It wouldn't mean that I'm, fin- I'm winning the race. That's not, that's not at all, you know? Yeah. But it's, I just felt I would have an explosive enough finish that 
I had a confidence in what I could do. My mind would tell my body to do it. And maybe that's not the case anymore. But then it, it definitely was, you know, and I felt like it's it's a bit like that that feeling that you get, particularly say, for example, in, in, in boxing, as a heavyweight boxer, specifically heavyweight, heavyweight boxing for anyone who, who's not a fan, typically not always, but will typically end with a stoppage. Because when you've got that much weight behind a blow, a punch, that's often going to happen. And when you are doing that to other people consistently, you get this air invisibility about yourself and you feel like I'm unstoppable now. Now, I've never experienced that. But what I have experienced is I know I can do X and I've proven that to myself. So my turning point is you've done this before more than once. So you can do it again and you will do it again because the expectation in contrast to the previous L is now the expectation that you have within yourself. And it comes from the confidence and being assured of what you're able to do. And then parking everything else and saying, well, I, yeah, I, I suffer from that um, imposter syndrome of everything else. But with these few things, I'm good. So is that what you tell your younger self? I think this one would be a harder one to, this would be a harder one to convince my younger self for sure. Because my younger self lacked exposure to anything that could that could refute that. This would be a harder one. It's what I would probably tell my younger self. But I think I'd have to tell my younger self, it's okay if you're working towards being good enough for something. But that'd be a very hard sell. Very hard sell. So what environment are you creating for your son to allow him to know he's good enough? I'm letting him realize that for himself. I don't want to tell him he's the greatest because that's where people crash when they get fed with that narrative. And it might be true, but you need to feed it for yourself. That's where self-esteem comes in. That's where our own self-validation comes in. That's where self-love comes in. You feed it for yourself. And praise, for sure, 100%. As a parent, we all get very excited about what I'm able to do. You know, what might be the, the smallest thing for me as a parent, or sorry, the biggest thing for me as a parent would be it's significant to someone else because it's not their child. But we all get very excited about what our children can do. And it's almost reining that in and letting him discover for himself. Because what I don't want to do is build this foundation that I can't build to the specification that he needs because I don't know what he needs yet. And I could build that foundation or that framework where it's to a point that it doesn't facilitate the other aspects he needs and it's not strong enough for what he requires. Conversely, it could be too strong that it doesn't allow his perspective to be malleable in recognizing it's okay that I wasn't number one in this, but maybe I'm number one in this. So that's the environment I'm trying to trying to shape for him is one where I am letting him figure out for himself where he feels a confidence along with me giving that encouragement. And is that the same with him pursuing his passion? Yeah, it is. It is because in pursuing his passion, I let him try what he wants to try. And if he likes something, we carry on. And I encourage it. And if he doesn't want to, I might still give a nice to be like, let's try a little bit longer maybe. But I'm not going to hold him back to deter him from something that I think he truly wants to do. And I would love him to discover more than one passion and to run of it for as long as he can. And that means giving him the space to do so. 
And that's nice to hear because I figured where you're struggling to talk about yourself as a younger version, how to communicate it, as passionate as you've been talking about it, whether you think you have a passion about it or not, because it's close to your heart. I know how much you love your son. Well, I don't know to its full extent because I'll never be able to grasp that level of love, except for my own babies. I would like to believe you would not want the same for your son to be exposed to if this is what you're looking back in hindsight going, yeah, I wish I knew this earlier. I wish I knew it earlier. Of course, you're not going to want to let your son miss out on these these years of where he could have been pursuing his happiness or having that feeling of knowing he is good enough. He may not be the best yet, but that's something to work towards. Life is constantly changing, evolving, adapting and all sorts. And it's a dance out here, man. You've got to, whatever's playing at the time, you've got to learn how to bop and find your groove and ride that rhythm until you're no longer dancing. And we've had to dance through what we've danced through our age and he's got to dance to his things. AI's popping up, which is going to take away a whole heap of jobs for people, but he's still going to have to find a way to provide. He's still got to find a way to be happy. And I'm sure you're going to help nurture a healthy, encouraging environment for him to do so, so that hopefully he doesn't experience what you did in a not so pleasant way. Mm. Not saying that you was raising a toxic environment, just some things that you feel were missing that you yeah. felt out of light. Yeah, yeah. And and trying to make sure that there isn't a predisposition towards that as well. That, that is one of my biggest fears of him not having that happiness, of him not having that sense of self-worth, of him feeling worthless, you know, all the, the negative feelings and sentiments and experiences that I've had, that's my worst fear. And I, I do and need to do everything that I can to make sure that he doesn't succumb to that in any way. Well, it doesn't even come near it. That's, that's my aim. That's my, my, my job is to make sure that I'm facilitating him not entering that space. I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. So that's not an L. That is something you learned. The previous one was a lesson. So that's really positive. And I thank you for sharing. For the next couple of minutes, if I could ask you to selfishly plug yourself where people can find your blog posts, find you, engage with you if they wanted to. I'm, I'm probably the worst person at doing this because I don't really do... Yeah, I don't do very well at kind of setting myself. Um, so in terms of any of my writing, if anybody wants to read my ideas, they mainly focus around kind of like social issues, politics, education, sport. Yeah, if anyone's interested, um, I'm on Medium. You can find me on I am a law. So I A M A L A W dot medium dot com. That's where I write. If you want to follow any of my rants. You did quite the thing. Um, <laughs> Matt, Matt's laughing because he, he, he knows from on Twitter. Again, I am a law. And yeah, most of my physical views can be found there as well. Also, plug of Beautiful Fatherhood on the computers to MFF and obviously computers to um, the, the book Dad, which if you haven't got, is a great book, great read. I'm not sure when this will go out, but Father's Day is a project. Before, before Father's Day. <laughs> before Father's Day. So yeah, yeah, plug that as well. Um, yeah, that's 
that's really it. And and a plug for for yourself for for the podcast. I think it's a great platform for very organic, genuine conversations that don't get heard enough. And I'm a fan of the podcast. Just listening to the conversations that taken place and things that have resonated with me that I've been able to identify with as well but just that conversation where you almost feel like you're in the room and you're just absorbing the ideas and they might be things that you don't have a connection with but you're like okay I didn't didn't see that but that's a conversation that I feel is is a valid one to to just observe and just just to take in so yeah i would plug every podcast as well thank you very much i'll pay you later (laughs) (laughs) um no i greatly appreciate that i again it's a passion project something i'm doing and i guess ultimately i'm doing it for my babies because i know they're not going to listen to me forever in a day so hopefully by them listening to a multitude of different people talk about life and how it happened to them they will learn that life will happen to them and they're right now is not there forever so yeah, I greatly appreciate that. And I love what you shared. I'm hoping that you are further along in your journey to achieving what you'd like to achieve. You may not ever reach your destination, but hopefully you're enjoying the journey from where you was to where you're trying to get to. And I guess to the listeners, I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. And if you relate, then you relate. If you don't, then I'm sure you can forward this on to someone else that can relate or you can appreciate the conversation and think oh okay that could be the reason why these people are acting a certain way because they're feeling some sort of way but I'd definitely like to encourage anybody and everybody if you can and I have imposter syndrome a lot of the time there's there's a whole heap of stuff that I can and I do do and I still don't believe that I'm good enough and I try to carry the same mindset that I do in certain aspects of my life into others so treat you like you do you've got something that's burning and you just go and ignite something else with that same candle or that same match whatever it is I'm trying to do that and I'd like to encourage other people if you are just doing the best job as a parent carry that same energy into anything else you do because you've got suddenly got to be an accountant you've got to be a nurse you've got to like you're all on web and d at this point when you've got your child coughing and sneezing and all sorts of stuff then you've got to do your budget plan then you've got to be martin lewis because you're comparing insurances you're comparing all this stuff so if you can do all that stuff then why are you doubting yourself that you can't do another job that's my head if i apply for the job now i might see nine things i'm good at the tenth one i can't do i don't apply for it so i've got to i've got to take heed to my old advice here but that's the mentality I'm trying to carry and I want everyone to just back yourself believe yourself and like I said to Arian before like we don't know what happens on the other side of life we can only hope and have faith that whatever happens happens and whatever we believe but if it's just a series of us sitting down re-watching our lives I'm sure we'd be vexed at all the things that we've passed up the opportunity to do out of fear out of being in the cloud and yes the cloud unfortunately is something you can't necessarily just dispel just easily because when you're in that headspace it is very much your reality but if you can try and put things in place to help you combat it then please do it for your own well-being because I'm sure if it was your child your mother your father whoever you care about you'd want the best for them so when you look in the mirror try and give yourself the best as well because you deserve it that's about it for now but I hope you enjoyed the episode I thoroughly did and yeah just remember nothing about a caterpillar tape is going to be a butterfly and that's the case with this 
So enjoy what you're doing. And if you're not where you want to be, as long as you wake up and draw a breath, it means you've got another chance to make it happen. So take care of yourself, look after one another, and I'll see you in the next episode. Take care.